Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. And what was so bad was I changed my Facebook name to Louise Hamilton and then two months later I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amory Maffedon and this is Women Tech Charge from the Evening Standard. Today we've got a very fast guest. I sat in this big economics lecture hall and I thought, what am I doing here? I want to be focused on my dream of being a racing driver. Susie Wolf, MBE, is team principal at Venturing Racing and is a top racing driver. Throughout my whole career I was only ever not asked about my gender in one interview. We need to go into the schools and inspire young girls to believe that motorsport isn't just for boys. There's too few women in town. Welcome to the podcast, Susie. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Thanks for coming. You're, you arrived very sharply uh, and promptly on time, which I, f- I feel like that's the, the theme for your life. I like to be, yeah, fast. <laughs> We're possible. As a racing driver, I think, is, is, is kind of the name of the game, isn't it, really? Speeds and times. Completely, completely. And you, you end up being quite a perfectionist. What's the best thing about being a racing driver? For me, it's it's the adrenaline. Um, you know, sitting on a on a grid waiting for a race to start. It's the feeling of speed. I love speed. <laughs> I love competition. I love adrenaline. Um, but but being out on the track and and just it's you in the car. You know, trying to go to the limit of of what it's capable of. And yeah, that that feeling is very hard to to put into words. I'll never forget the the first day I drove out of the, the pits at Silverstone in the in the Williams Formula One car, you're so focused. The mm-hmm. concentration level when you're at 200, 220, 240 um, kilometres an hour, you're looking you're looking at every small detail. You're so hyper-focused. Be the car. I yeah, the you're, car. you're so focused. I am the yeah, speed. Yeah, it, it doesn't... Not even. No, not no. even. You're just in, in that moment, really. Just in the moment. Yeah, in the moment and, and very much thinking about, okay, the next corner, where where's my breaking point? Okay. How late can I break and, and where am I going to pick up time? And How do or die kind of knife edge as well, the kind of the decisions that you're making? I'd decisions. rather call it knife edge than do knife or die. That, that sounds a bit too <laughs> extreme. But some, do call it ex- some do call it extreme racing. So were you always, so if we rewind, if we can rewind back before eight years old, or even if we say kind of up to 11, 
Was this always going to be something you ended up doing? I think, you know, I was brought up with a with a great role model in my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she was someone that had her own business and she met my dad when she went to buy her first motorbike from his shop because her father was quite a famous motocross rider in the 50s. Do you remember the first time you ever carted or drove? Absolutely. You know, I was, I was always, you know, on a motorbike, always a little girl that loved speed and didn't mind, you know, going through the fields fast on my little motorbike and I was taken to the cart track and I remember being out on track and the, everyone was flying past me much quicker and they were kind of bumping me as they were going past and I'm thinking to myself that oh, hang on a second they were bumping an eight-year-old oh yeah it's, it's fierce you know right, okay. out on track you got to hold your own okay. and I came into the pits and, and my dad always called me toots that was my my nickname and I said dad I don't like it out there that's not for me he said no worries toots we've got two options and put the cart back in the truck and head home or you go back out and you just try and go quicker and, and when they're going to bump you you're going to bump them back twice <laughs> as hard so I think you can guess which option mm-hmm, I took mm-hmm. I went back out and and that was it for me really that was the moment where I, I embraced the challenge I I loved the speed I loved the adrenaline it wasn't an instant um, moment where I was incredibly talented and fast in right. that first you know it, it doesn't happen like that yeah that was eight years old exploring your passion nurturing um putting the time in and the effort in how did you decide that it was that rather than swimming at 12 my parents kind of said to me you know Toots, this, this is too much we're mm. we're all over the place with mm. racing on the weekends getting you up early for school what do you want to focus on what shall we do more of and and the other one we have to do less of and I immediately said well it's karting you know that's that's what I love doing, not with the view of becoming a racing driver. It's right. just because that was this, the hobby. You only had 24 hours in I the day. I loved the most. Yep, and and my it. parents never, they were never pushy parents. They were never dreaming that I would become a racing driver. It was mm-hmm. a, a great family sport that kept us all together. And their view was sport, no matter which sport you choose, is, is great because you learn how to win. Mm-hmm. More importantly, you learn how to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn the, the importance of teamwork, of focus, of determination um, and picking yourself up after failure. You had the failures, but you had really big successes. So in in 2001, you started in the Formula Renault UK Championship. You notched three podiums and you were twice nominated for British Young Driver uh, of the Year Award. What what were your motivations? What motivates you or what motivated you to begin with to be that that? champion it all changed for me when I was taken to a Formula 3 race when I was 13 and Formula 3 is simply like a junior formula it's where people learn their trade to get into Formula 1 so there's Formula 3 there's Formula 2 and then there's Formula 1 is there like an age kind of thing at Formula 3 yeah Formula 3 would be from from 18 to let's say 24 okay maximum 24 it's getting younger and younger now oh really Um, (laughs) but at 13 I got taken to go and watch a Formula 3 race at Donington Park and a driver called Jensen Button won the race that day and Mm. went on to become a world champion and that's when everything changed for me because that's when I realized that you could actually become a racing driver and you could make it to Formula One. This is Women Tech Charge. Subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcasts. So I talk a lot about uh, technology and engineering and women, obviously, and diversity and inclusion and, and all kinds of Which is of fantastic. People. The fact that what you build isn't as good if you've not been inclusive in the way that you've built it. So, um, funnily enough, you have a Scottish accent. Uh, I don't know if anyone had noticed. Maybe they weren't listening closely. <laughs> um, and I always end up talking about voice recognition software and Siri and the fact that Siri doesn't really understand Scottish accents. They're, they're more thick, the thicker Scottish accent. Just like my husband. <laughs> 
The other example I point to, which I kind of is, is still relevant, is um, seat bags, seat belts, and airbags, which um, till today aren't really built for the female form. So they were kind of de designed around the 50th percentile man. It's kind of famously, the story goes that kind of early ones killed women and children because they they didn't quite fit properly on their bodies. And and every time I get into a car, I still have this sense that it's not built for me. I'm using it incorrectly just because I'm not 50th percentile man. Um, and it does make me wonder a little bit when we look at kind of F1 cars and racing and the rest of it, is there something in terms of the nature of the cars that were built because everything is so optimized to a particular archetype, a particular body type, a particular normal driver? Is there something, will there be a shift? Are we going to eventually have to also change elements of the technology or at least the aerodynamic flow of what we're creating if we're to allow physical space to have women at the you know in formula one as more of a normal thing rather than as the exception it's a really good um question i work closely together with mercedes-benz and we're involved in um, an initiative called she's mercedes mm -hmm, and why i'm so passionate about it is that we're connecting with the the female customer base. Mm. You know, they as a brand want to understand what mobility means to women, what we require from the cars that we're driving, what we expect from the cars we're driving, and mm. you know they've recognised the fact that fifty percent of the population is female. So that's fifty percent of the customer it's base. A good, good time to notice. But that. it's an interesting um, statistic that women have an impact on 80% of car sales because yeah. actually purchasing you know, decisions purchasing yeah, decision yeah. but also the discussion Whether with either your boyfriend it. husband exactly. they they have a big impact mm -hmm. on car sales mm -hmm. worldwide so there is definitely i think from the automotive industry a real willingness to say okay this isn't just um you know these cars are not just built for men and we're not just listening to men i think it's about time the conversation is really opening up and that's something that that i'm very you know, pleased to see and something I'm passionate about. Yeah. On the racing side, there will always be um, a limit to how much that's possible because engineers are always going to be very determined to build the fastest racing car. Right. And and that they won't compromise on that. For example, in, in Formula One, the drivers are, are digitally scanned. That will always, if a driver lineup is already confirmed for the for the following year, yeah. the car will be designed with the driver's form in mind. And there's uh, a I reason see. why okay. there aren't many tall, heavy drivers. Yeah. Know, the, the smaller you are and the lighter you are, that was where one of my advantages were, was. Mm. The smaller and the lighter you are, the more of an advantage you definitely have. And, mm -hmm. um, so we should have, we should see more women. In, in theory, on, yes, then. because I there's such a funny um, instance a few years ago because um, a new the new technical regulations had come in Formula One and the driver driver weight had become quite a big issue for the engineers. So drivers mm. were told to lose some weight yeah. or be a certain weight or be a woman. <laughs> be well, a if you're woman. a woman, it would be easier. <laughs> um, but I remember meeting Lewis after the the winter break and and I said to him, yeah, and, and you had a nice winter. He said. Oh, it's been a nightmare, you know, I've, I have to get to a certain weight and um, I weigh myself every morning and, and I think about my weight every lunchtime, yeah, dinner time. And yeah. I said, well, welcome to the life of a woman. <laughs> you know, we are also under big pressure with our weight all the time. So it's, it's nice that you see what it's like for a little period of time. But there are regulations in place that, for example, I had to carry ballast because I was too light. And for anyone that doesn't know, what is a ballast? 
ballast is simply the weight you carry uh, as a penalty to make sure you get to the weight. Um, so. But you can engineer it into anywhere within the car, exactly. right? And that's yeah. the advantage you have. So if you're a lighter driver, the, the engineers can decide where they put the, the extra weight that they need to put in the car um, so that it actually becomes an advantage on the engineering side. So uh, you have an initiative called Dare to be Different. Do you want to tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, it's something that I'm very proud of. I founded it together with um, the governing body of UK Motorsport, Motorsport UK, and it was very much a call to action. It's when I decided to to stop racing and hang up my helmet. Um, I'm a big believer in giving back. I think it's important um, that, that in society we don't just take, we also give back. And I wanted to give back something to the sport that had given, given me so much. Throughout my whole career, I was only ever not asked about my gender in one interview. Mm. It was, and I wanted to you know, pass the baton on to the next generation, make sure I could pass on what I did right, my knowledge and, and also the mistakes I made to make sure they wouldn't make them themselves. And I wanted to create more role models out, out of the very successful women that I had worked with in the sport and knew that could, they could inspire others. They're not in front of the camera. Um, so together we created Dare to be Different. We go into schools, we get young girls to racetracks. It's really good. They go fast and it's fun going around the corners. Brilliant. You can pretend you're in a racing car and beating everyone. It's like a sort of role play thing. Like you had to pretend to be Max, Nico and Lewis. And it's been a really, really good day. Looking at, at wanting to become engineers, we connect them with successful engineers so mm -hmm. that they can get advice and be mentored. Mm -hmm. um, and we create opportunity, whether that be getting young girls into a Formula One factory for a tour to inspire them. Placements at either the leading um, motorsport magazine, Autosport, if their journalism is their thing, mm. or getting them placements in, in teams. What are the kind of lesser known roles that you imagine more people don't know about and probably should know about and could aspire to be? We need, um, you know, the real engineering side, which is performance engineering, mm. um, where you need to have a background, not just in, in engineering from university, but, but a racing background, which mm. means you need to have come through junior formula as an engineer to get that experience. Mm. You take a Formula One team, which has over 800 people building two racing cars, mm. there's highly specialised roles and getting in and understanding which area you want to specialise in and and aim for. Um, that kind of that fulfills you and makes you makes you feel makes you feel good makes yeah, you feel part of that com that competition. Is, yeah. So if it's maybe too late for me, but I have a niece, <laughs> <laughs> or I have a cousin, or my little sister, if she's maybe sub ten, so eight years old, what what does that look like? How do we how do we enable this generation? So I think there's two elements um, because in the end, if it doesn't just come down to age even if you are slightly older but you have a passion for racing and want to go racing the first bit of advice would be if you want to be a racing driver it would be simply go to your local kart track or go to your local indoor karting center and simply just start driving and racing um and that's like go-karting like go that kind of thing that's right, where okay. it all starts the fundamentals the basics are are in karting that's where you can learn so much okay and so you kart and then you enter competitions and it's that kind of thing exactly. so and if you're competitive in the competitions you can then enter national championships and then international championships and you just kind of rise through the ranks so it's putting in the time and then it's also i guess in some ways that that sponsorship and that money and, and the funding as well of being able to then approach teams when yeah you, when i you've think if you want yourself. to progress up through the ranks um and, and with the aim of making it to being a professional racing driver at some point you will need to find sponsorship and you will need to get the support network around you but you you need to get the foundation there first and that's simply just going karting and that doesn't need to be as expensive as, as some people perceive that 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 it 
sometimes um, is, is talked about. And you were studying, what did you study? International business at Edinburgh University. Oh, cool. Many people presume that I would have studied engineering or mm-hmm. aerodynamics <laughs> or um, physics. Um, that, that would have been a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would have been, absolutely. And I actually didn't finish my degree, so I can't oh, wow. even... no way. Um, my poor mum didn't, didn't get her graduation picture on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got your your podium pictures. Surely they. I mean, they're not pictures, better, but yeah. I mean, they are better. I was kind of being. I don't want to say forced because I think in the end it it was a great experience for me. But everybody said, okay, because my grades were good, the expectation was that I, I need to go on and study. Right. Um. And I'd done one year at at Edinburgh University, and I remember it very clearly. I went back to start my second year, um, and I was combining my racing with uh, studying. And I sat in this big economics lecture hall, and I thought what am I doing here? You know, I'm just a sheep that's following the flock. I'm, I'm here because everyone tells me I should be here, but I don't want to be here. I want to be focused on my dream of being a racing driver. Um, and then? And then I, I walked out of the economics lecture what? and I, I called home. Luckily, it was my dad that answered. <laughs> um, and I said, okay, I, I want to leave university. And he said, okay, but I'll come and pick you up tomorrow morning. But then you've got you to gotta have a plan of what you're going to do. Right? So that was the Monday. Your dad came to pick you up on the Tuesday. And then how long did you have to kind of submit this plan to your parents? Well, one week later, I had all my worldly possessions in a little golf TDI. <sighs> and I, I drove from Oban down to Silverstone. Bought, no way. Bought the local paper, found a room in a house and, <gasps> and started working at, a, at Silverstone, which is... For oh, of, my goodness. Yeah. That's going to be a great montage in the movie of your life. <laughs> that whole moment. <laughs> Let's see if my life's going to be interesting enough to make a movie Oh, of. it already <laughs> is. It already is. I'm sure someone's going to... Someone listening here is ready to buy the rights to this. Time for a break. Send me a message using the hashtag, hashtag women take charge, and please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to podcasts. Formula E, this is your your team principal adventure. It's a Formula E racing team. It's only been running um, for five seasons, so it's a very young championship. It was one gentleman who had the, the vision and was very much a pioneer, Alejandro Gag, who said, OK, I'm going to create an all-electric racing championship. Awesome. Awesome now, particularly with Dieselgate happening and, and everyone going electric. But at the time, a lot of people said, what? Are you yeah. crazy? That's not going to function. And I was one of those people, and I'm very oh, open to him. You know, I was right. a cynic initially. <laughs> Um, but him and his team have done a, a great job of, of building Formula E up to being now one of the, the leading championships in the world. It's got 10 manufacturers competing from BMW to Audi to Mercedes to Porsche. So really, the major worldwide automotive manufacturers are in Formula E. This idea of going racing in all electric cars is what will ultimately filter down onto the the road cars that you and I will drive. It's exciting times. It's it's a big, big change within the automotive industry. It's very challenging for the automotive manufacturers to get it right mm. and to make sure that the research and development is good enough that they're producing um, the right products for the markets. It's almost as if you're starting again, right? Formula E is Completely. driving a lot of that innovation that we'll have in electric cars that doesn't necessarily, isn't the same as what we've taken from F1 into kind of normal cars. Completely. And that's, for me, what's so exciting about being involved in Formula E, not just the racing um, side, which is where my real passion lies in the competitive um, element, but also the fact that the technology that we are running at a very high level on the racetrack it is going to filter down how close are you to the engineering on that side of things so as a racing driver as someone that comes up that was karting and was in the driving seat and maybe wasn't necessarily on the team or the engineering side and um, how close are you to the engineering and how much of that is something that you are now 
leading or innovating on? I was never the the driver that wanted to take the car apart myself or, the, okay. or my, my cart apart. Obviously, you need to have a very good understanding of the principles um, of how the racing car works or the cart. And you need to have very the ability to have very good feedback to your engineers. And that can be a differentiating factor between a very good racing driver and, and an average racing driver. Mm. The feeling you have in the car and what's happening in the car, you need to be able to relate to your engineer. Yeah. And that doesn't mean um, that you get really involved on the engineering side because that's too one step too far. You need to be able, as a driver, to say, okay, this is happening and, and this is what I need to go faster. It's the lap time on the racetrack, which a driver needs to manage, yeah. which is the ultimate goal. Exactly. the quickest lap time possible. I did an interview with uh, Lewis Hamilton, and he was saying that it's become, it's become a skill set of his, that he can communicate with the engineers. He's had to learn a little bit more about the engineering and what's going on behind the scenes. We used to race against Lewis you when I was did. younger. Yeah. Um, but I've got a huge amount of respect for him because he's someone that doesn't just have the talent, but also has a, an incredible work ethic. So what are the new things that you're excited about engineering-wise, technology-wise, that you can share? Um, I think, I'm not sure, you know, they're coming things like artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could have, there's something called RoboRace, which is actually driverless race cars. What? Doesn't that take all the fun out of it? For me as a as an ex-racing driver, <laughs> that's not the way I want the industry Gosh, to ruin all our <laughs> to fun. Progress. Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, completely. But I think in within Formula E, obviously how quickly the, the battery technology and software technology is developing, it's it's something that's very exciting to be part of because in the end, um, for example, the, the new EQC from Mercedes-Benz, it's it's a futuristic looking car. It it feels like you're in a different um, let's say car than, than what we perceive as a car you know it's quiet when you drive it there's um, a lot more display there's a lot more information to the driver within the car so I think it's it's exciting to be at the cutting edge of that technology and see how quickly it's developing it's all moving so it's not even necessarily you needing the new technology it's the the refinement of existing technologies Completely. That we and, have, and that's right? where you need to make sure for me as a team principal that I have the best engineering and technical people that I can find in my team because it's all down to the marginal gains Mm. Um, and particularly in Formula E where it's so close and it's so competitive it comes down to getting all the little details right and making sure that I have the best people in every position. This is Women Tech Charge I guess we should you know mention the the fact that you're a woman Um, you in 2014 you were the first uh, woman ever to take part in a Formula One race weekend in, in 22 years. What is it that's kind of causing that that barrier or is, is blocking women progressing from Formula 3, where, where they are, up into Formula 2 and Formula 1? I would be really interested on, on your opinion because obviously I think I see anyway that there's quite a lot of synergies between what we both do and, and the paths we've both taken. Mm. There's two little women entering the sport, um, whether it be on the engineering side, the racing side um, or the mechanical side, the technical aspect. There's two few women entering for the best to rise to the top so if you have a thousand little boys dreaming of being the next um, Lewis Hamilton and you've only got 10 girls there's a much but there should at least be there should be uh, well more than one because you're the you're the one the scouting's not happening Mm. there's just not enough female talent okay because we're sitting at seven percent you know that's a, a very small number we need to increase that number for the most talented to then rise up through the ranks. But if a girl is talented enough, she will find her way through. And there's certainly a lot more opportunity than there was before. And we need to go into the schools and inspire young girls to believe that 
motorsport isn't just for boys. You know, mm. we're fighting the challenge that our sport is perceived as very male dominated. Generalizations, they suck. They do, <laughs> they do. And I've, I've come up against a lot of generalizations. I still come up against that all the time, all the time. And it's got to the point now where I find it more funny than frustrating. People imagine me to basically be Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> and be the most socially awkward person ever and wear glasses and I don't know whatever else it is so I turned up for my first day of work with with a manager and he was like yeah I wasn't expecting you to be like this or people that are like oh you speak so well whenever I kind of get introduced to someone that I don't know whenever they kind of hear that I'm a racing driver they say well you don't look like a racing driver I say really what should a racing driver look like? People couldn't tell if it was a girl or a boy in the car mm. or the cart. They, they could just tell if the car was quick or not. And it was only at the end, if you took your helmet off, I could see the shocks <laughs> sometimes of, of people saying, wow, that was actually a girl driving mm. um, that car. Um, but I think slowly but surely, I feel preconceptions are, are changing and people are much more open to individuals and, and people being different. Thank you very much, Susie. I've learnt that I might not be able to become that racing driver in my lifetime as it's coming, but I'm ready and waiting to give birth to my daughter to help her do it. No, I think <laughs> Live life right. What you're doing is so good that you've got to stick to what you're doing because oh, you're having okay. such a positive effect. Dream of being a racing driver, go <laughs> karting if you fancy it, but please don't stop doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for coming. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Tech Charge. <laughs>